Okay, we're now live on YouTube. There you go, that was quick, and I actually got to see it this time and notice. So tonight, um, thank you anyone that's tuned in, um, either live or after the fact, or on um, any of the various podcast um, services. And tonight we've got Professor Alan Baker here for us, and he is the owner of Atlanta Martial Arts, um, AMAC Tactical Group. Um, he's also a director for CSW and works with that association a lot, and as well as now um, helping out on the directorship with the Pedro Sauer Association. And um, I believe sort of a Francis Fong disciple and Arjun Chai as well for the Thai boxing. Yes, sir. Oh, there we go. Got that right. And also well-known coffee lover. Which is the most important thing, right? Here's to you. Awesome. That was the bit that I was most excited about. Something that, is, that, see, that seems more excited about coffee than even me and, and posts even more regularly. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of my best coffee memes come from Alan. So, uh, so yeah, thank, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. My pleasure. Constantly looking for good ones. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> He also has the very, and we mentioned it on other uh, podcasts, has the very dubious title of being the person that's responsible for myself and Robin, probably, yeah, sort of indirectly being involved with the Pedro Sauer Association and doing jiu-jitsu. So it's your fault. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if, I don't know if you remember the connection. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a secondary connection. But there was a gentleman called who we used to train at his academy called um, Lawrence Sandham, who came with to the train with the masters. Yes. Yep. Uh, he, Academy. Yeah. He asked you about um, jiu-jitsu and you recommended Master Sal. So um, it was us that was kind of pushing Lawrence at the time to get you know Gracie jiu-jitsu over more uh, you know over in the UK. And yeah, he then went off and came back sort of a week later and went, "Oh, I found the guy. I found who we." Uh, who we get involved with so yeah so ultimately yeah thank you very much awesome well thank you thanks for being part of the team so i well i don't know where we start let's start with the jiu-jitsu stuff so how um, can you give everyone a little bit of background sort of how you got into gracie jiu-jitsu and meeting my sam becoming part of that whole thing uh well I guess it originally started when uh, I was going to an instructor camp with Guru Anasano. And at his instructor camps, he would have John Jock Machado come in in the mornings and he would teach sessions every morning uh, for each day of the camp. And uh, so uh, I believe that was my first introduction to it. And after that, uh, secondly, back when Eric Paulson used to travel with Guru, and it's like, you know, Joel travels with him now. Eric used to do that, uh, I think, early 90s. Yeah. And uh, he was coming through the Fallen Academy, and I met Eric. And you got to love Eric, man. He's great. <laughs> and just fell in love with how he taught. You know, it's like drinking from a fire hose. And uh, just so much information in such a short amount of time. So I was immediately like, I've got to go see this guy. And... Um, I think within four months, I flew out to California, you know, spoke, spoken to, to the guy a few times. And, hey, I'd like to meet. I want to train. I want to do this stuff uh, that you're teaching. And uh, I remember, you know, him sending me some crazy directions. <laughs> Going out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, it ended up being in a small space in the back of a warehouse. And I remember walking to the warehouse thinking, you know, well, this is, this is different. I mean, you know, 
get back in there and there's some old mats and it was like maybe six or seven guys in Coach Eric. And I just got my ass kicked. <laughs> and after that, you know, started asking questions. What is it? How did you put it together? And that's when, uh, you know, he started talking about his influence uh, or a part of the influence with the jujitsu and the Gracies and that when I started looking and uh, Master Pedro had a uh, affiliate in Atlanta at that time. So we got connected with him. And uh, after that, it was history. Um, I I'm, was the type of personality, still the type of personality that uh, I don't mind traveling to go find good information. You know, if, if uh, like Coach Eric, Sigmund Fong, if, once you get introduced to them, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go see these guys three, four times a year. And that's what we did with uh, Master Pedro. Uh, we used to go out to Utah when he was there, probably three, four times a year. Uh, and the uh, rest is history all the way to this day. I think uh, we one of the major influences or uh, of time with him was we when we started the school here in Woodstock, Georgia. It's about maybe 18 years ago. And he was just starting to do seminars and we had him twice a year, I think for almost 13 or 14 years. And, uh, you know, the prices start to go up a little bit because, you know, he he's getting more popular in the U.S. So then it, it kind of dropped down to one and then we were hosting uh, association camps for a little while, but that was an awesome period. I'd, I'd have him in Atlanta a couple of times. Then I would go visit him, uh, Utah, or when he was in Virginia. So that was, uh, I'd probably see him four or five times a year during that period. Nice. And now he's kind of, as I understand, I don't, my geography is not great, but he's not too far away from you now, is he? Yeah. Uh, Savannah, about a four hour drive now. So, I'm giving him some time to get settled and then uh, probably start knocking on the door for a visit. <laughs> uh, Does he have yeah. a big garage that you could maybe like live in and you know stay there and, and, and get all the information? Yeah, well, there's a school down there. Um, and I, I'm good friends with the gentleman down there who has the school. So I'm, I'm assuming, you know... Uh, we could work something out, rent a little time on the mat. And everybody I've talked to here in Atlanta, well, there's several black belts that I'm like, you know, I'm going to start doing this pretty soon. Like, oh, I want to go. And then even like uh, Ted, who's in Sarasota, he was like, well, you let me know, I'll drive up. So it sounds like it's going to turn into a group of black belts <laughs> showing up one day. And I told him, we'll, we'll just have to buy privates for like four or five hours and just keep them on the mat for half a day and try to get as much water out of that sponge as possible. Yeah. There's always something new in there. Every time you see them, there's always something, uh, something you haven't seen before and a little tweak on something. Yeah. You know, he's um, um, a creator of jujitsu. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that make him very unique is you can ask him a question and he'll say, come do it to me. 
And then, you know, you'll watch him right there, formulate it in his mind and then give you four answers um, just from interacting with another body. Uh, you don't see that too often in too many instructors. You know, most of them repeat what they've learned in the past, which is OK. That's great. Um, you know, I, I, the same attribute I see with Coach Eric Paulson. He's very creative. You know, he'll do the same thing. You know, he'll it's a little more painful when he does it. But <laughs> if you ask him a question, he'll go, well, come do it to me. And, you know, he'll tie in four or five knots and get up and go, there's your answer. <laughs> Have you always been at the site that you're at now? Have you always had that academy or have you kind of built or changed or moved around? Um, we've been in this one in this area for probably the last 18 years. Um, prior to that, um, I first started teaching professionally in the early 90s in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, I think we were probably six years there, late 80s, early 90s. And then uh, we, we ended up having two schools there and uh, is a partnership. And, you know, sometimes partnerships are a challenge. Uh, so when it got challenging, I pretty much just said to the partner I was working with, look, it's yours. You know, uh, I'm going to go to Atlanta and get close to this guy named Francis Vaughn. You know, and at the time it was either Atlanta or Los Angeles. And, uh, uh, ended up choosing obviously Atlanta and because I knew Guru came to the Francis Vaughn Academy a couple times a year uh, you know it was the closest hub I could find for the different mentors I wanted to be involved with so I ended up coming down here um, had to work a real job for a little while God. <laughs> just take a pause there for and then finally got the school <laughs> uh, and it's been you know Thankfully, uh, doing okay ever since. So, um, what was, what was the real job? I was going to say, what was what was the real job that you did for that short time? Um, well, I had a buddy who came to Atlanta, and uh, he did heat and air. So, um, and he did uh, work as a building engineer. So, he pretty much lied to the people he's working with <laughs> and said this guy can do this job and uh you know it's one of those fake it until you make it moments so i went in and you know i was i was buying books i was following him around you know learning as much as i could um trying to keep up with it um so uh, heat and air and uh, building engineer work for a couple of years there um till i saved up enough money you know, to have a decent down payment on the, the academy that we have now. And, and I mean, you, you, uh, you obviously had the taste of being a of martial arts, you know, academy owner and instructor previously. So you knew that you wanted to get back to that. That was always the, the ambition to get back to that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I knew it when I was a kid, um, you know, and uh, I grew up in a small town and when I finally got to the point where I could get a job and make money, I was a member of every school in that town. <laughs> and um, I was always the kid that would show up four hours early and just hang out and watch. If you're doing a private, I'd, I'd be the dummy 
I just love the environment. You know, uh, I thought it, hanging around the martial arts school all day was the greatest thing in the world. And um, I had one teacher in my teens. He owned a uh, Kung Fu studio and he also owned an expeditions company. So that was twice as much fun. You know, we would uh, work for him or when I wouldn't say work, I would do stuff for free uh, to help him with the expeditions company during the day. And at night it'd be Kung Fu. So um, I just loved it. I was like, this is, uh, you know, whether I make money or not, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. It's not a bad way of doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't complain. So far, it's been good to me. So it was the, the Kung Fu that came first, was it? Like, what was your kind of, like, order of where you found different stuff and got into different arts? Uh, well, originally, um, it's just before my 11th birthday, I got into Ishinur Karate. Um, and I was always a rowdy kid, uh, <laughs> to say the least, high energy. And uh, mom probably had a hard time keeping me under control. <clears throat> so she said, I'm going to take him to this local martial artist and have this guy teaching some discipline. Man. And uh, I remember the guy's name to this day, Brent Helms, and he had two sons. And I remember the first day I, I was like, I'll get out there and fight because they were sparring. I go, I'll do it. And I remember those two kids just beat me to death, man. <laughs> but I loved it. And uh, so that was my first introduction. After that, I went on to uh, Tung Sudo, Taekwondo, which is a pretty common path. And we, we got introduced to Burmese Bondo. It was one of the unique things that was in uh, Cleveland at the time was a Burmese Bondo school, and uh, which is very similar to Thai boxing. That was a great experience. And uh, from there, um, Chattanooga was about a 30 minute drive from Cleveland. Uh, there was a Kung Fu school there. So I started venturing outside of Cleveland and said, I'm gonna go learn this Kung Fu. And uh, at the same time, I had a friend who lived about four hours north um, in Tennessee he moved into Cleveland and uh, he was doing another Kung Fu system. And every Thursday he would drive up to this teacher to train and then come back. And uh, he's like, look, go with me. And so I was going to Cleveland and one or to Chattanooga in one direction and, and driving up to Blountville, Tennessee in the other direction. Um, yeah, you know, doing the best I could to learn and just be involved with it. So that was how things started. Nice. So what was the, what was the, then the cross at like, so then how you, did you meet Marcel before you met Sifu Franz Fong or was it kind of, how did that kind of play out? Yeah, um, I met Sifu Fong first. Um, I probably got down to the Fong Academy around 94, 95. And uh, like I said, Eric, I met him uh, at the Fong Academy. And that's also was my introduction to Guru Dan and the opportunity to start um, entering into the instructor program with him. And that, that was, so I knew those guys first and kind of got introduced to Professor a little later. I don't know if like, I, Robin knows, uh, Robin's trained with um, 
Seafood Fong quite a bit, like a reasonable amount, haven't you? Whenever he's yeah, been, every time he's been in the UK. Yeah, and I've I've been time. Awesome. Um, he's, he's just infectious, right? Yeah, he's um, you know has a very unique approach to Wing Chun. Uh, I had seen a lot of it prior to meeting him. Um, you know, it's very formal, very traditional. Uh, but when I met him, I remember going to his academy. And at that time, someone who was there challenged him a little bit. And I remember him walking him across the room, cheese out, and pinning him against a wall. Mm. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. I, I want to see what this guy's doing. And, you know, he also, due to his influence from Guru Dan and Master Chai, he, he could blend the other systems. He, he had a, a way of uh, connecting what he did yeah. with the Filipino Kali, with the Jeet Kune Do and the Thai boxing, and seamlessly uh, putting it together and making it work, which is very unique. And uh, that's, you know, originally what drew me to him and made me uh, decide to move down to Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, I, I profess I know nothing about Kung Fu, but I still, when Sifu Fong was there, I still went and did his class. That was the first session, wasn't it? The first session he did in the UK. So that was like 2011, I think. Yeah, it was the first time I'd ever done anything to do with Kung Fu. And I just, obviously I'd done the Thai boxing and uh, were we doing Jiu Jitsu by then? No, it was, that was pre-Jiu Jitsu. Well, no, we were probably doing a little bit of it actually. Yeah. And then uh, and Judo and stuff like that. but. Yeah, I just remember being just astounded about how relaxed, but how, you know, just incredibly fast he was. And just how, yeah, his teaching, how kind of dynamic and enthusiastic he was. And like, like Ron was saying, infectious. And and then when we met Master Sauer, I remember thinking there's a lot of there's similarities here. Like there's, you know, the infectiousness of the personalities is, was like kind of, it was, it was very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I remember when a uh, professor met Sifu Fong too, they, they had him in for a seminar. I think it was actually one of the conferences where Guru was there and Master Chai. Mm. And I remember a uh, professor, you know, he taught jujitsu and then he participated in all the other things. It was just awesome watching him try to do Chi Sao and, and out there with doing Kali with Guru. Um, it's something watching those, watch those guys get together. <laughs> He learned uh, the basics of Chi Sao. And then the, the next day he was in early on the mat in someone's guard, trying to make it work against the feet. <laughs> uh, it's just amazing. <laughs> how, do you, how do you find the crossover for, from those arts? To, I mean, you talk about there, about myself kind of taking it and thinking, oh, I'm going to try this against someone's legs or whatever. How, how do you find the crossover? Do you find you, you get much? From all the arts? Uh, I, I, tremendous amount of crossover. Um, to, for me, I, I kind of, I think of it a little differently than, you know, each art. <clears throat> um, I got a, a philosophy I follow. It's called the uh, system as a source. And it keep, kind of keeps you from being overly attached to a, uh, a, a methodology or system-based idea. Yeah. And uh, the way I look at it is like uh, as a baseline, you have primal environments that you operate in when, when you're in a combative situation between another human being. 
um, projectile weaponry, uh, edged blunt weaponry, striking, pummeling, uh, grappling uh, or uh, counter grappling, ground fighting, that type of thing. And so um, I use that framework and I, I take a lot of ideas and training methods from the different systems and plug it into that framework. And we do a lot of laboratory work with the guys at the school, you know, just to see if it works, you know, and let's throw a knife in, let's throw a gun into it. And, and it's surprising, you know, uh, what you see and what actually works and uh, very educational. But that's, for me, that's the approach I take, um, you know, borrowing information from different systems and seeing how they fit in. Um, to those primal uh, environments or thought patterns. How, how do you kind of get that? Because um, we've talked a few times on this podcast, it's come up loads about um, uh, teaching people, not just moves, but teaching them kind of the, the concepts behind them and, and that kind of stuff. So that they start to build um, a bit like you were saying with Marcel, like that, that problem solving rather than just following a move kind of thing. How do you get that across, especially when you're dealing with it across lots of arts? Do you find that that actually helps because it gives you more tools to demonstrate with? Or how, how do you kind of get that across to you guys? Uh, well, um, the way I teach it at the school is like pretty much everybody starts with a technique point of view. What is the technique that will um, work in this scenario? And you become a technique collector. Um, the next stage I try to get the guys to get into is an understanding of mechanics, timing, placement, and alignment, regardless of what you're doing, you know, whether you're striking, pummeling, you're doing a takedown or a counter takedown, all the way down to grappling. Obviously, grappling is a tremendous study of, of the human machine. So they start to study how to cheat and win with alignment of bone structure, placement of the body, proper uh, timing. And then um, I think the study of that, of this, of the human machine starts to elevate their thought past a technique level to an understanding of how this works. Once you start to see it work and you know, we're not necessarily programmed for efficiency <laughs> as human beings. So uh, the martial arts uh, and the various forms is a, is a way to start taking the step on that path to understand a better efficiency, alignment, timing, um, so that as we go through the journey, you start to get a little older, you still have some things that'll work for you. And, you know, you're dealing with guys that might be in their 20s and, you, you can't keep up like you used to. So you, you have to have methodology and training to make up for the difference. Um, then usually it's, I, the way I explain it is once you start to understand those mechanics, they're like musical notes. Um, and then you have to start to play music. So if you're thinking I'm gonna do this technique, you're still kind of stuck in the beginning. And uh, if you train and, you know, consistency, consistently over time, it'll start to be ingrained in your nervous system. And, you know, you can teach your body um, how to start doing those things automatically. 
And, and I think past that is a thought pattern. You know, it's like uh, I tell the guys, you watch Eric, Coach Eric or Master Sauer, what makes them so unique so, is how they think. You know, they, they're not really thinking on a technical level there because you say, hey, how do I escape side? They go, oh, here's this technique. They'll go, show me your problem, do it to me. And then right there on the spot, they'll create mechanics. You know, they, they have a, a, a thought pattern that they go through. And that's what makes them unique. And, and as students of the arts, our goal is to, we strive to achieve that ability to think on those levels. Um, you know, it's like a learning triangle in the beginning, you know, you're at the point and it gets big, you know, you got so much stuff to keep up with, but <clears throat> simplicity is mastery. Yeah. So as you start to think differently and uh, gather wisdom, you know, from placing yourselves in those challenging environments, I think that it starts to come back and it gets simple again, you know, um, not, not so much symptom based, but based on the human machine, we're all built pretty similar. Um, and it, you know, it comes down to how we express this machine in a combative environment. Um, and, and many other environments, you know, it's, uh, as well as fitness outside of the school, what's your diet? You know, uh, there's, there's so many areas of study in, in a warrior based mindset that it's, you'll never make it. That's what's so cool about it. <laughs> and we're never going to get there. <laughs> That's what's good about it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've always kind of been, uh, I always stay away from the word master or mastery. I tell my guys, you, you, you be on the master path. Uh, I, I want to walk it, but I, I'll never arrive. You know, and I know I don't want the mindset of I have arrived. Because to me, that's that's when you relax. <sighs> I'm here. It's also quite terminal and, as well. If you, if you say you're there, then what else is there to do? I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you look at like uh, of aiming for aiming for perfection. What was it? I can't remember who said it. I think it. I, I think I've heard Greg Nelson say it, but it might not have been him to start off with. But it was something like you know, strive for perfection, but you know, catch excellence. Nice. You it know. sounds like so Greg. You, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that. But yeah, it's that kind of if you aim in that direction that you kind of you aim high, you're going to reach maybe not all the way to the top because there isn't one, but you're going to reach a higher level. I agree. And I, I think the philosophy in general, regardless of what you're doing, you know, we, we do martial arts, but it's a warrior based philosophy. You know, um, we know we'll never get there, but we still get up every day and walk we still get on the path and we still chase it um but that's what makes you a warrior so one of the things a student walks through your doors a brand new student and they come to you and they say i want to learn martial arts you know but they've not done an awful lot of research where, where do you begin <laughs> you know, with, with your catalog of what's on offer i mean how do you even begin that conversation and, and Coming to the jujitsu in that, what would be your first kind of like move or technique that you would show them to, to kind of, you know, you know, show them the Kool-Aid, so to speak? I, I go to the janitorial closet and I get the mop and I go, come with me. We're going to go clean the mat. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the beginning and end of your career. 
Um, wow. A lot of times I'll, I'll just kind of try to find out what they're interested in. You know, some guys come in and they want to punch things. So, okay. You know, we might start with uh, Thai boxing or the Jeet Kune Do. Uh, some guys they're, you know, they'll say, Oh, I've seen this crazy jujitsu. That looks really cool. I used to wrestle in high school. Okay, cool. Perfect. You're going to start over here. Um, so I kind of have a conversation with them and see mentally what they're comfortable with. Most of the time before they come in, they've got a vision that they see. And if I can find that out and introduce them to it a little bit, uh, and that gets them on the mat. So they're having fun. And then uh, as we move along, we, we start to discuss all the other areas of combat. And, uh, you know, you, you realize that, you might not have an answer for pummeling or, or you might not be a good striker or maybe you, a knife gets thrown into the mix and you're like, well, what do I do with this? Um, I, I've got pieces of yoga bricks that I've cut up into different shapes <laughs> and I'll dump them out on the mat, you know, and like if, a lot of times the new guy won't know what's going on, but the guys that are in class, they recognize that they'll grab one of them and, stick it in your ear and it's like what is that you know well, it's a knife today and so that might be their introduction to maybe i need to take a look at dealing with that <laughs> so they gradually get introduced to uh the philosophy here at the school which is you know very much like jikendo is be aware of the full spectrum of violence uh, or combat and and realize you know i i know i need to study some things and even if I don't, I'm aware of it, you know, so like if I am confronted with that and I know, well, I've not done that, I'm going to run. That might be your best answer. Know your weaknesses. Yeah, I agree. Exactly what, what Alan's saying, Bill. This is pretty much how I started out when I started training with Lawrence. Like up until that point, I'd done a bit of kickboxing, bit, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, wherever I kind of was. And then um, someone actually sent me to Lawrence's. He had um, Rick Fay in for a seminar, just like... Only time he's ever been there. That was my first experience to JKD and sort of Carly stuff. Um, and I was hooked. But then, as you say, everything else kind of, you know, got sucked in. Oh, there's a, there's a kickboxing class. That's, I've done a bit of that. I'll do some more. You know, I'll do some more of that. Oh, I'll do the Thai boxing as well now. And then Sombo, Judo, eventually the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, the, uh, the Wing Chun with Sifu Fong. You know, it's just... It was, yeah, it just, everything sort of slots into place given time. That's great. Uh, Rick, Rick's awesome. <laughs> I've, not, I've not managed to train with him again since, but uh, yeah, it was a long time ago now. What year was that? That was uh, saying, uh, 2002. You were saying uh, about, you know, you learn the, the notes and then eventually you learn how to play music. And you were saying about, you know, when you're training, obviously the more practice that you put in, the, you know, the, the greater your ability to end up actually you know, making a song. Do you think that people, do you ask your students to kind of like, you know, tone down their intensity level so that they actually have the chance to be able to recognize the notes that they're playing? Because the same sometimes when they're, you know, yeah, when, when, when they're going like full at it or, you know, full ball, which you can't, they can't help it sometimes. Um, I, I don't know that they get the opportunity to, uh, to, to appreciate even the instrument they're playing, let alone the, the notes. That's true. 
Um, you know, and it's, it's probably one of the hidden philosophies. You know, I don't ever necessarily have it written in a curriculum, but we talk a lot about how to train intelligently. Um, and, you know, you have to turn resistance uh, or chaos up slowly. Yeah. You know, we, we, in our minds, in our ego, sometimes we like to think, yeah, I can take all of it. Give it to me. But I tell the guys sometimes it's like um, you will ingrain reaction into your nervous system that you can't get out if you don't do it intelligently in the beginning. So an example is like, say you're doing a jab cross with a new student and, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll go to throw and they'll flinch just out of fear, you know, and I'll tell my guys, if you see that, then you really need to slow down because sometimes that will get in their nervous system and, you know, they'll always have it. And, and, you know, different personalities deal with it in different ways, but we all have it to some level. We can't just dive into full on chaos and perform well. And I think that's part of the educational formula in combative arts is realizing that I've got to have a volume knob on it. You know, first I've got to get the information. I learn the notes. I start to learn what order they're going to go in. Um, and, you know, one, just on my own, be able to harness the ability to use my body. And then I might start doing it with a partner. And, um, you know, I have to build and understand the reactions or techniques that I need to ingrain. And if I'm doing it against too much force, I, I put them in the wrong order. I use them incorrectly and my body learns them wrong. So I have to tell my partner, look back off a little bit and then let me do it right. And the thing is, you, in my opinion, from what I've seen over the years is you'll progress quicker um, doing it that way than just say, harder and faster is better. Um, the guys that take their time and build that stuff slowly within two or three years are out on the mat, just, you know, surviving and owning those guys effortlessly, you know, um, which sometimes you have to point out to some of the new guys, Hey, look, look how relaxed that guy is, you know, and let's go ask him why he got that way. How did you get there? Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you, you made a good, good point there, Alan, because it's exactly what um, Dave Porter, who we had on last week, said. You know, like, people say that practice makes perfect, but practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes habits. Correct. You know, and if, if it's bad practice, it's bad habits. Agreed. Good routine, mm. uh, done consistently over time, will build habits. And, you know, part of what, you, you know, one is just learning a technique, but as a warrior-based artist, we have to organize our time and intelligently build an educational process to follow. Um, because if you just go to class and they go, here's a new technique, good luck. You know, you, you just figure it out, you know. Uh, but if, the, if you've got a good teacher, he'll say, look, consistency over time. How many times a week are you going to come in? Well, my wife will let me come twice. I go, well, will she let you come earlier, stay later? And here's how you intelligently take the extra two hours and train. These are the drills you're going to do. And these are the processes you want to ingrain in your body. Do you understand? And this is what it'll look like when you're done. Should take you about six months to a year. 
and, and go to work. You know, there's no way to get around consistent work. Um, you got to you know, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> might as well just do it. Just admit it and go, I'm, I'm going to jump in with these other. This was the great thing about having such a good environment or team environment. If you've got an academy full of guys, much like yourselves, that understand that. And they're like looking for those good partners and uh, that don't want to kill you, but they want to, they'll, they'll, they'll turn it on at maybe 25%, but you can train for two hours. Those guys, man, they get incredibly good in, you know, in a short amount of time. So. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> how do you, um, like on that kind of path as well, how do you, work with the students because I'll, I'll admit this I've had this before when I've you know not even early on because I think early on you don't quite know enough to be sort of starstruck or um sort of your your head blown by what's going on but when you get someone maybe blue belt's a really good example from from jiu-jitsu obviously where they kind of suddenly realize that they don't know anything <laughs> where you suddenly get that I thought I knew what was going on and now yeah now now I'm I was I was unconsciously incompetent before now I'm consciously incompetent. And how do you kind of break it down so that they don't suddenly feel like, whoa, I'm never going to be able to get, you know, like you said, it's a journey, but I'm never going to, I'm never even going to get halfway there. How, what's kind of your... Uh, by the way, I hit that frame of mind about every two months. <laughs> hey, I'm doing good. Damn, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> Uh, problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Might as well just admit I don't know anything and move forward yeah, as a happy camper. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It's uh, I'll I'll tell them that it's it is part of the process. You know, like we said earlier, you never really arrive. You know, you're you're always striving to move forward, and part of that is. You know, sometimes you think you know something and then a couple of months later you go, I don't know anything. And the time wasted thinking I know is the worst part because once you have that epitome, uh, that moment where, well, I don't know anything. And as you struggle to find stuff to know something, that can be some of your most uh, well-spent time as far as educating yourself. So I'll tell the guys, you know, recognize what puts you in that mental framework of I know and avoid it. <laughs> you always talk about Coach Greg Nelson. He is so good at that. I mean, uh, I have had him at the school and I'm, I get to go to the conferences with Eric and watch him teach and, and him and Eric both. It does not matter who's teaching. They are right there in the front row asking questions, head tilted, leaning in, absorbing that information, you know, um, and that to me is a huge example. Those guys, if those guys are doing it, you know, you kind of look back here and go, I've, that, I've got to get that attitude and I've got to maintain it. I got to keep myself in check. You know, if, I, if I'm having a moment of I think I know, I'm going to stop and go, hmm. I better not know. <laughs> so that's the same thing I tell my guys, you know, um, and it, it builds the mindset of continual growth. 
which comes back to, you know, the overall warrior philosophy. I mean, that's what makes a martial artist, makes a more a warrior a warrior is, you know, they, they're constantly preparing or for the unknown. Um, a lot of people want to avoid it. You know, they're not comfortable in the unknown, but the warrior seeks it and on a regular basis. Um, that's where he strives to shine. I think um, what that, that, with all the things that we've kind of done between the stuff, that's what I quite like about the jujitsu. It's just the fact that you you can't hide from it. <laughs> if someone, you know, someone is going to show you what you know or what you don't know. You know, there's no there's no there's no lying and pretending. Whereas, unfortunately, with other things, sometimes people, like you said before, can become technique collectors, but not actually ever sort of. Uh, like digest that and you know and have have the move you know they've read the yeah. book but they never they didn't understand the book well you know it gets down to it i think it's uh, a study of the simple basics i mean the the simple movement and mechanics of the body um in jujitsu you know um, just the placement of the shoulder two or three inches left or right when you're underneath somebody that's got 150 pounds, 200 pounds on you, huge difference between making it and, and then just getting smashed. Um, timing is a, is a huge study. Um, you know, it's like I look at a lot of systems as being designed behind time uh, and that's okay. They're perfect uh, for that but then some systems are ahead of time. You know, they, they want to avoid getting into a situation where I am behind the curve. I think it's important to have both in all environments. You know, we're discussing grappling and if I'm ahead of time grappling, I may not get pinned. Um, I tell my guys after a certain point, they have to earn flat. <laughs> your body won't be touching the mat you're constantly you have space you have movement but if he's that good he'll take it from you but i want to be ahead of time and not end up in that situation um you know we're very street based here at the school so you know have to take into consideration i've got a knife uh, or something like that and if i'm in close proximity and i'm grappling it's very difficult to deal with that in a good way. Um, but if I can stay ahead of time, I can keep keep those things out of reach and be free to move, escape, um, change my options. You've got a lot more luxuries that way around, eh? You can, uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you make your own choices in, in a way, I suppose. This is um, sort of our our perennial uh, discussion every time we do any of the knife work or the defences um, when we're doing, you know, in class and things like that. And how do you feel the the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu syllabus and the knife defences and things like that in there compared to your Kali knife defences and things like that? Because I know Rob and I always have this discussion and kind of talking about, you know, well, you know, if you've done quite a bit of Kali, then it, 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 they seem a little bit more, what's the right word? Effective if you know them really, really well. And maybe the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu ones are a little more simplistic, maybe designed for the person that isn't going to take a real deep delve into weapons, mm. but maybe needs something to give them something to protect themselves 
in that situation. I think that's the most diplomatic way of saying it. Okay. <laughs> how do you how do you kind of stand on it? Where's your without again without getting you in trouble? Um, well, like for get, get um, grappling, we learn an Americana from side. You know, you come to class, and I go, hey, look, this is what it looks like. Here's how you do it. Now you know it. You're good to go. So go grapple with the brown belt over here. And I want you to go put that technique on that brown belt. And they're like, I'll do it. And I go, you will. <laughs> <laughs> and they come back. <laughs> but it didn't work. And I was like, I usually am like, well, it worked for him. He seemed to get it like four or five times. I don't understand. What same thing is happens in weaponry, everything. You know, it's like one thing is to have the technical knowledge and information. But we also have to have an environment, like we mentioned earlier, to place it under stress and do it actively against someone in a safe way. So the technique is great. But the one thing that makes uh, Filipino Kali and the multiple systems of Filipino Kali so unique is they give you training environments to do that. It's like rolling, um, but you have the environment with a knife, with a stick. You know, then one is drills, but actually having a smart process to get a blade and let's knife fight for 30 minutes. Let's work on angles, uh, timing. Uh, let's, let's study the arc of weaponry and know, you know, just seconds off and you miss a, sec a split second ahead and you get them. You know, it's not so much technique, but it is the application. And that application of technique has to be from wisdom based that it, uh, or wisdom based that is gained from an environment like rolling, mm. um, you know, kickboxing, you get out and, you know, kickbox, um, you learn jab and cross, but actually going across the room and putting it on somebody's foreheads can be a challenge unless you've done it. And those little intricate changes of timing and space uh, all come from those environments. So I think that's the difference. It could easily be fixed. The techniques are great. Um, it's just they maybe don't have a, that type of environment for them where other systems would. And that's the case for all systems. Um, you know, you, you look at uh, like uh, marksmanship. You know, that's one thing to learn the technique. And it's the other thing to go to the range every two weeks and actually do it. Um, so you, you can apply that information or that educational process to anything. How do you have time for it all? <laughs> That's where uh, the comes in, right? <laughs> I opened a school. <laughs> <laughs> in between mopping the mat and taking out the trash, I get to do a little bit. <laughs> um, I have to have themes for my days, uh, like Tuesday, Thursday may be a grappling day. And then, you know, first half of the day may be working on grappling and the other half of the day may be more of a ground fighting where I'm trying to avoid it. I've got a grappler coming after me. I've got a blade and maybe there's two of them now. He's got a buddy. So now I can't get pinned. I have to fight my way out of it. Um, I'm stuck between two cars or between a car and a wall. Um, 
it's still a ground fighting environment because I'm not on my feet, but um, those two days might, might be specifically for those. Um, Tuesday afternoon is uh, David, one of the instructors here at the school, and Coach Steven, we all get together and we run with scissors and play with knives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll knife fight, we'll stick fight. Um, you know, that we, we, we realize that we have to have time in that environment to actually be good at it. It's super simple, angle one, angle two, but actually making it work against a resisting opponent, those things are difficult. So we usually get about an hour, maybe an hour and a half in on Tuesdays. Uh, you'll have days where it's uh, pummeling, anti-pummeling, takedown, anti-takedown. Um, you'll mix elements of striking in there. Um, and then um, uh, projectile, which we don't really do at the school. But we do a lot of um, close quarter manipulation of the firearm. Um, you know, they're, they're fake guns. Um, and, and just that social range where that type of thing happens and they decide not to run, they're just going to come get you dealing with that. And so we'll have a, a day where we're doing that. So we kind of have to split it up a little bit and just uh, log time. You know, I, I tell my guys, how many hours of this did you get this month? How many hours of that? Um, you want to get better, add 30 minutes next month. Put an extra hour in of that next month. See if your training partner come in on Thursday night and meet you an hour earlier and do those drills and just roll. Because that it's it's that's what it is. You know, uh, that's what gets you there. All, all the stuff people don't believe you're doing, go do that. <laughs> Since you've been talking about all the weapons, which day is like a Viking day where the morning stars and the shields come out? Oh man, I, I I need that in my life. That sounds really cool. I'll grow the beard and I'll join in. Well, the David, one of the instructors here, um, he actually has a set he got last year. They're uh, hatchet type. He's brought those in a few times. I haven't got to play with them. They look very intimidating. <laughs> Honestly, the whole way through this conversation, I, when you started talking about the different um, you know, weapons, and you, you reeled off, you know, projectile, um, you know, sharp edge, blunt, and I, and I was thinking, you know, I just had all of these like horrible images of like different, um, you know, different contraptions going through my mind, and I'm thinking, imagine being at that class when they all get thrown on the floor; it's just be carnage. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's it's brings you back to reality. You know, back into that state of I don't know nothing. <laughs> oh man, yeah, gotta I, love it. I know nothing, so I'm working on my 200 meter sprint time. <laughs> How fast can I get away? How could, can he run as fast as me carrying something he wants to stab me with? Hey, yeah. what, what did we say was the good tactical running distance? We've had this. Here's a really yeah, we, we said, Adam, we said, like, obviously, if you've got, like, someone says, oh, well, I'll run a marathon. Well, if someone's still chasing you for that long, then good on them. But, like, how long is someone legitimately going to chase you? You're going to have to outrun them. How much faster do I need to be than someone for over how long a distance? And we, 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 we often, you know, uh, bat this one back and forth. I, what's, what was, what's the general I'm, I'm 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 putting my bets on about 
worst case scenario, three to four hundred yards. You've got to be quick. You've got to be quick over three to four. You've got to be fit. To you've got to be fit enough to pace three to four hundred yards. If you can do that, you probably get away from most people. <laughs> so it depends on what you stole. Is it like a donut? Is it a cup of coffee? <laughs> if it was my last cup, I'm not going to stop running. <laughs> yeah, we didn't factor that. <laughs> so you, you know we've been locked down for an entire year now, Alan. Uh, one of my random questions that I wanted to ask you, if you had to give up something for a year, if it was jujitsu or coffee, which one would it be? Oh, wow. It's probably going to take a year to decide. <laughs> uh, Just let me make another coffee while I think about that one. <laughs> That's that because uh, they both go together. I mean, I'll have a cup on the edge of the mat in between rounds. Keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. You um, you also do the I noticed on social media you used to do the the scuba diving as well. Oh yeah. Um, I got uh, instructorship, I think it was in 98. And, uh, you know, I took a little time off in the last 10 years. Uh, but uh, probably in the last two, I've got more active in it again, uh, working as a dive master, doing more instruction. So uh, that's been great. Uh, can't complain. <laughs> I. Uh... I think if ever I lived in America, I'd need to live near you because the, the combination of diving, coffee, and, and jujitsu, I, I couldn't really place myself anywhere else. All right, let's go. <laughs> We're moving. We kept on looking. We've been looking. Uh, it's crazy. Been, what rabbit, yeah, what rabbit holes uh, lockdown, if you're in lockdown this long, take you down. And we started looking up, uh, especially Bill and I, started looking up ghost towns that we could buy. <laughs> and start a jiu-jitsu commune so even if we were locked down we could still keep going we just put the fence up <laughs> sounds like a, a good investment yeah so you got you've got that and then kind of does that all does i mean you kind of said that everything kind of molds together and you train everything together to some extent is that where the tactical side of stuff came from that molding of everything together and how does that work is that because i thought i saw um, correct me if i'm wrong that you kind of do it as uh, some courses as well for people getting into close protection and that kind of stuff? Uh, yes, probably about 13 years ago, um, I had a friend introduce me to the Executive Protection Institute out of Virginia. And they had been having a lot of uh, defensive tactics instructor come in, leave, come in, leave. They, they go through them. You know, they'll learn the material. It's pretty impressive at first. And then six months later, they realize uh, I can't do this legally. I can't do it with a suit and tie on. And I have a client that I'm supposed to be protecting. So I can't get engaged. So when they asked me to come in, um, I went to the school and had, had an opportunity to do some of the work and design the program, uh, which is protection response tactics around their environment. So we build it um, specifically for what they do. And that, that, that's what got me introduced to EPI. I've been with them for about 13 years now. Um, usually awesome. teach for them about every six months. And that led into um, doing work for Vehicle Dynamics Institute out of New Jersey, which is a driving school here in the US. 
we do a lot all their DTs for them and, and went on from there to law enforcement, different military groups, um, doing the same thing, um, which is we design programs to fit their environments instead of just coming in and saying, here, do jujitsu or do Thai boxing. Um, that's how we got introduced to it. And once we designed the programs, um, you know, we had them still. And that's what really started AMAC Tactical Group um, is because other people would say, we want you to come in and teach that program to our officers um, or, or it's a military group. And uh, it's just grown from there. Um, but this last year actually was surprisingly busy, a lot going on. So the industry is looking for a lot uh, newer answers uh, that fit you know, the force continuum, they have to follow local laws. Um, it, it has to look socially correct uh, and visually correct uh, because, you know, um, it's, you're going to be on video. So um, that's what brought that whole business up on, on the tactical side. You had to change much of your programs based on the fact that, you know, you'll be on video. Um, you know, using, using those techniques or, or, or were they always, um, you know, designed in such a way that it would be acceptable to be on video? Uh, yeah, um, the PRT was like that. You know, um, you, you could be a, working as a protection agent, have to deal with a threat and be completely um, legally in the right to deal with it. But because it was on video, you embarrass the client and you're fired. So all of it has to be visually correct. Um, it also has to be based on a force continuum. You're constantly trying to stay on the lower levels. But if you have to ramp it up, it has to be visually appropriate. Um, when we teach it at uh, EPI, we always tell the guys in a room that they're the paparazzi. So if at any time I do a move, that you think will get me fired, just yell click and we'll stop and take a look at it and see, you know, if, if that image, and I tell them too, you can get your phones out and take photos, see if you can catch one that looks inappropriate. And um, which is what they have to deal with every day when they're doing their job. So that whole system is based like that. And a lot, you know, um, a lot of the stuff we do with the CTAC, which is the civilian tactical program, it's, it's just ordered more for civilians. They have to follow different rules. Same thing. It has to be um, socially acceptable and visually appropriate. So that, that, that whole program, that whole curriculum is set up the same way. How's, how does that shit, like what's the shift? So you're saying that uh, the CTAC is for the, the civilian stuff. What's the, what's the difference? Um, is it sort of that they're not doing it as a career? It's just a, a more of a self-defense thing or is that just what's the kind of the cutoff? Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's set up just like any martial art. You know, uh, you can have a class or two a week in it. There's a progression system. Um, there's lots of uh, tactical flavored systems out there from different parts. Um, and for me, when I started looking at them, they have great marketing, um, but when it got down to it, uh, it's just not good stuff. It's terrible. 
So it's one of the motivators for putting the program together is, you know, we wanted to answer that question for someone who has to worry about the legalities of putting your hands on somebody. Um, just getting into a stance and putting your fist up, you're already in trouble. Um, so it's looked at very differently. The whole system has to be taught that way. So it is something that can be studied over time. Um, and it goes into blunt and edge weaponry. It, it's just not uh, the type of things we would look at in Kali. It's uh, things you'd find, you know, on your desk or at a restaurant, things that are in your car every day and um, how to recognize them as a tool and use them. So, and, and one thing that system does that I have, I don't see in a lot of the other ones is uh, the social exchange prior to an engagement. Uh, a lot of people will freeze verbally. Uh, some people won't, they have the gift of gab. So they can, they can use it and we study it so that the individuals that aren't comfortable speaking in a stressful situation, something that's socially stressful, they learn to gradually get good at it. And they'll have tools, uh, just like anybody physically, they have things they can say at certain times to try to de-escalate or deal with a verbal exchange. Um, what position can you be in that's appropriate and you're also ready? Um, you know, you have to be aware of threats uh, going for the belt line and what that means. Um, the things you look for are a little different uh, than what you would do in a normal martial arts class. And then, then they, they follow a force continuum as well um, because even though it's not required by law, you, you, you know, when you have to articulate what you've done to a law enforcement officer, being able to explain that you tried several of this lower level of force ideas first and you had no choice because the threat forced you up the scale, that's a much better place to come from. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, I mean, that sounds something that's be really useful for all of your students to have that understanding, right? The the understanding of what they can, you know, can and can't do, and how that how that works. I mean, we jokingly talk about it, I guess, without even realizing, don't we? We always say about, you know, with the with Gracie Jiu Jitsu about this rather than this, because this is a fight and this is a negotiation, and and then I do always joke that this looks good on CCTV. That's true. You know, it's a universal place to be that I don't want any trouble yeah. and your hands are up um, you know especially as they you know, they start to bridge that critical distance they start to get in range it's very difficult to deal with a chaotic bit right yeah <laughs> what's the what's the difference um, I'll probably butcher what ours is in a minute but what's the difference in terms of like escalation of force so if someone in the, in the States in terms of legality about how you're allowed to escalate the force um, that you use in self-defense? How does that kind of work over there? You know, um, in my experience, it's varied by location or state. Right. Um, like even for the law enforcement officers, you may work with a group that has one continuum and then go work with another group next week and they have a completely different set of rules. Um, for me, uh, the, the base three, well, you have a verbal exchange and, and we look at that as the first level of force and you want to be able to negotiate 
or you know, deal with the predatorial advancement, verbal advancement. You know, people will challenge you verbally to see how you'll react. They'll test you. Because I think most of the time they're looking for an easy meal. So if your reaction is, oh, uh, you know, kind of cowering or they're like, I've got this guy. So um, the next level would be they initiate touch. They've walked into you. They've made an effort to bridge the gap. And it's a soft level of control. How can I control them and move them? You know, it's, it's not socially elevated to a fight yet. They're just starting to test you physically. So you have to be able to negotiate that intelligently because if you ramp it up at that point, you're in trouble. Um, and the better you are at it, the more effort it takes the threat to elevate the situation. They have to try harder to push it up the scale, which is good. It's visually very good too. The next one, um, I always nicknamed it Hidden Force. I've got to give them a little bit of attention, but I can't, uh, I can't do it in a way that's you know, going to be caught on camera uh, or get me in trouble later. Um, so how do I answer that? Past that is more of an assault level. It's on. And, um, but I still have to take into consideration, uh, you know, how I'm going to, unfortunately, especially trained, how it's going to look. Um, and then past that would be like a lethal force idea, um, regardless of the tool. And um, the, the baseline that I've always followed is like jeopardy, opportunity, and ability. They have to possess all three, um, which is you know, there's more advanced um, philosophy around that, but that was pretty simple to remember for the guys and calculate in a stressful situation. Nice. No, that's good. That, I mean, that sounds like that fits fits with our system as well anyway. That's like, it seems pretty universal in that, yeah, we're allowed to, if, if once physical forces but, you know, they, they attempt physical force, then you can escalate by one stage as far as I understand at the moment. So if they, you know, if they try and, I don't know, hit you with a stick, you can hit them with a chair or, you know, I don't know. It's like one, <laughs> if they come at you with a knife, yeah, exactly. Chair defense. You could, if they come at you with a knife, you can kind of, yeah, anything you can use to, you know, solve that problem. Um, and when we come, we don't get a gun though. Yeah. I was going to say, we don't, we don't get to escalate to firearms. So, uh, You've got to find, I don't know, a bigger knife or something. <laughs> like crocodile well, don't be. Yeah. <laughs> well, at that, you know, this the distance that those type of exchanges happen, um, to me, in my experience, when I'm playing with the guys, I, I'm quicker with a blade than the gun. That was um, the video yeah. with Dan, wasn't there? The 21 feet rule. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they, they if they go for a firearm, uh, the way my way I wear a knife set up, I can have it out and bridge the gap very quickly. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Uh, outside of that long range, you know, yeah, that's trouble. <laughs> yeah. So how would you, this is something I want to kind of keep meaning to ask everyone. I keep forgetting when I get the chance in front of them. How would you describe Gracie Jiu-Jitsu to someone that has no idea what Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is? 
how would I explain it? Um, join us in class. <laughs> I want you to go over there and try to take that guy's lunch money from him. And you come back and tell me what happened. Um, <laughs> nothing like a firsthand experience. You know, uh, earlier mentioned operating in the different primal environments and, you know, uh, getting off your feet and onto your ass is one of the environments. Um, it, you can't avoid it. A lot of people will say, well, I just won't, but you know, uh, gravity's not just a good idea. It's the law. And, uh, you're going to end up down there whether you slip, fall, get knocked unconscious, the guy's good enough to take you down. So you have to be prepared to be put in that position. I'd like to train to avoid it, but I'm going to prepare for it if it happens. And so this is what part of that environment looks like. And, you know, you can look at untrained individuals. There's a lot of videos on YouTube that of people who've gotten in a fight, gone to the ground, and you watch them, and they end up in these positions um, without training. So they're, they're primal uh, positions. So having an answer for that is very important. You know, uh, I've worked with a lot of law enforcement officers. They were untrained and they were coming for training because they, one of them had pulled a kid over um, and the guy got out of the car and he, what he did was jump guard on him, drug him to the ground. And the guy didn't know what happened. He, when he explains it, he, he came to or he woke up and I'm sure he didn't go unconscious, but just the shock he came out of it. He had this kid's legs around him and all he could think was hold his gun. And uh, the kid was just wailing on him. So he didn't have an answer, you know, and it's, you have to have an answer for those baseline um, situations you'll end up in. And I like what you learn them, you can start to train a little bit to be ahead of time. You know, I don't want to end up underside or in guard I'd, I'd like to avoid it and end up in a situation where i'm going to be able to throw strikes or bladed striking uh and get up and keep moving because um, i don't know it might be my experience growing up there was always more than one person that you ended up fighting <laughs> you know he's he's got a buddy or the good samaritan you know, he, you're not going to fight him, but you've got to deal with him. He's trying to break it up and you got the guy punching you in the face or um, the girlfriend, she's hitting you, he's hitting you. And, you know, you, you can't do anything other than just take it, but you're having to deal with him at the same time. There was always more than one. So you have to calculate that in, take it into consideration. So that that's usually how I'll explain it. And, you know, they'll at least see the need for it. Yeah, Pete, we, um, we heard a, a story about you know, law enforcement here. It's someone we didn't know, but it was kind of, you know, we heard via, via a third party. And the guy, the, the, the police officer, had basically been knocked to the floor. The guy had mounted on top of him, and he was just pushing his eyes in. Was he, no, he was choking him. He wasn't yeah, choking, he was choking him. Yeah, choking. And, and he, his eyes went funny because of the choke. That was, it. that was the story, wasn't it? And mm. he, he came around, didn't have a clue. And, like, the guy that was telling us was telling us about the... the, the post-traumatic stress basically this guy was getting after this this you know perp had basically just sat on him and tried to choke him and like you say a simple 
very sort of basic trap and roll would have probably solved most of the problem. It would have yep. at least taken one of the hands off the neck. <laughs> yep. You know. So it, that that was kind of where the conversation went with with, with this guy, wasn't it, Pete? He was just saying just just a small bit of knowledge there would have really helped the guy. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was interesting as well the conversations we've had about it subsequently about uh, and you'll have come across this more than us about you've got to how do you feel about trying to those law enforcement guys teaching that stuff without without giving them that oh my god I know nothing and then they've got to go to work the next day and and perform suddenly feeling like they you know they don't know anything who was it that was talking to yeah, us that, about? Was, that was Randy oh, that was Randy that was saying that yeah yeah about trying to coach law enforcement guys or whatever in a way that means that they don't feel completely it was almost like a shield of kind of ignorance in a way wasn't it in the nicest way possible and and as soon as they lose that kind of that protection of that shield then they're actually maybe at more risk until they know a lot more you know yeah i mean you know i think the industry is starting to realize that they need a little more of that information yeah um and that's been my experience in the last year. Uh, we've had more contact us looking for something for the guys. Um, it's just a long process um, because of all the legal channels that you have to go through, what you can teach them. And, you know, it has to be cleared by uh, the, uh, an attorney and accepted by the state. And then, you know, it has to go through post before it's something you can officially use. So I think the industry is starting to move through that process now and trying to get more intelligent information in. And it's up to the individual officers too, to take the time to at least run through the basic techniques and be aware of it um, as a baseline. It would be good to, you know, go to a local academy um, and start to get some experience playing with it as well. I think a lot of times they avoid it just because, you know, it can be intimidating going into a martial arts school, especially some jujitsu classes, you know, they, you will get (laughs) tied in knots, you know, so um, if if the guys, they're out there listening to this, don't give up, not all of those schools are the same. Find one that will work with you and, you know, keep the volume knob down until you're comfortable. And uh, so that you can, you know, gain that knowledge. It'll save your life, save someone else's life. Um, it's, it's invaluable information. That's one of the cool things about what coach Randy's been doing with his program is uh, he, he, actively gets out and talks to different departments and he's really putting a lot of effort in and making a difference which is cool yeah I mean, it's probably the same over here we you find it pretty impenetrable to be able to get through to any of the for and we're forces and we've got it easier in a way in that it's one force right we don't have to deal with states or anything like that we've got one yeah. one police force for the entire country and it's it's you know, a bit more solid that way, but it's still pretty impenetrable to get through to anything, isn't it? And they're not allowed yeah. to, you know, talk like you were saying. Talk they're to not them. allowed to raise their voice too much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you're stern officers, telling off. Yeah. The officers that do it, they do it off their, completely off their own back, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, we've got several students in school and that, you know, that are uh, law enforcement officers locally, and they've just taken it upon themselves to come in and, you know, which is great. Um, you know, I've been trying to do more like Randy lately to make it more available, help those guys out. Uh, we're, we're doing four events this year for local law enforcement. It's just free. Um, it, it's, it's, it started out just me teaching all day, but now, you know, we've got a couple of the, uh, one of the guys here at the school, Dennis, he's a firearms instructor and he's got some really awesome programs. He's going to come in and teach, uh, Chris Benfield, he's a local law enforcement officer. He's coming in and he's been working on a new, uh, arrest program. Um, so we're going to have different guys teaching throughout the day and it should be good. Should help them out. Nice. So linking it back to the, uh, the lockdown, Alan, at the moment in the UK, they're going mad trying to vaccinate everybody. Um, they order it, you know, based on the most needy, you know, so who gets the vaccine first? So old people, people with health conditions, etc. Jiu-jitsu, everybody can benefit from jiu-jitsu. Who would you put at the top of the list for, for needing that jiu-jitsu medicine or those, those skills that come from jiu-jitsu? Wow. You know, would you, uh, say it's the law, would you say it's the law enforcement officers or is it, you know, the young girls going off to college? You know, who, who would you say is, benefits most from, from getting that exposure? You know, if I had to pick a group, uh, maybe law enforcement, um, I think, you know, <laughs> I think everybody should study some sort of combative art. Um, one, just to be able to deal with any type of situation that comes up. And two, because of, uh, you know, the, the advancements personally, personal growth and development that comes out of it, you know. But uh, yeah, the, you know, law enforcement officers have been dealing with a lot in the last year. So that group, uh, I, I guess, would be one of the ones on the top of the list. I think it's a sin that they're uh, allowed to go out without it, really. It's, uh, it's, it's not fair. Yeah, you know, when I talk to them, you know, uh, how often do you even take your gun out of your holster? And, you know, some of them would be like, well, I've been doing this for years and I never have. And then you'll say, how often do you put your hands on people? Every day. Walk up, you need to move, you need to come over here. And it's like, it looks like you'd study putting your hands on people as well as, you know, all of your other options. And just, I guess they're working on it. You know, they're starting to see the need for it. So. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good to hear it. again. Yeah. We haven't had quite the controversy at this side with that, you know, with the police force stuff, but it's definitely filtered over and they definitely need, need the help. Uh, you only have to watch a couple of TV shows and see that it's taken eight of them to take down, you know, yeah. one guy. <laughs> and I, I had exact well, I had, it was a few years ago now, but they were trying to arrest someone and it pretty much landed on my driveway. <laughs> and there was like eight of them trying to arrest one guy at like four in the morning. And I, you know, I did stop short of putting my head out the window and going, like, do you need, you know, do you need some help? Because they're just <laughs> more of them i couldn't actually see how many people they were trying to arrest because all i could see was a, a mounting pile of police officers that was getting higher and higher and higher and i couldn't tell 
who was at the bottom of it. I had no idea. So I was like, ah, oh, they'll be all right. They're fine. <laughs> Go out there in your slippers and your cup of coffee and <laughs> handle the whole thing for them. <laughs> it would have helped you get back to sleep a bit quicker. <laughs> quicker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I guess well, in answer to um, Bill's question for myself, like I think actually the, sometimes the people that need it the most are the, actually the bad guys or the, or the bad guys that aren't that bad. You know, not the, not the evil ones, but just the ones that are a little bit, bit trigger happy. Like um, like Adam was saying earlier, I guess the, you know, it, 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 the, the more you do, the the more it takes to wind you up and to set you off, and hopefully that that's calms some people down as well. Yeah, you know, I think that's a good that's correct. If you are aware of what you can do, and you're confident in it, um, you know, uh, those lower levels of force, you're comfortable using your hands, and you know, I I can go over there and put this guy on his butt if I need to. Um, that. You, you're not as quick to go to higher levels of force yeah. and, and less to prove as well, I guess. Yeah. The, you know, the, 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 the you know, dissolving of the ego just stops you from feeling like you have to go and say something. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I wonder how many um, people, the same, same story as you were saying, just, just being super energetic kids, you know, and, and that and martial arts being something that kind of, gives them a focus and a way of getting rid of that energy. Now that must have saved because I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of the kids that I've seen that start to go through sort of um, like a continuum of getting in more and more trouble actually do start off as kind of those super energetic kids and they just never find a channel for it. And then it, you know, it's like, well, how can I, you know, Oh, what am I going to do now? You know, just as a little sidebar, Pete, you might want to explain what your, what your previous job was. So I, was a, I, I was a teacher. I used to teach 16, 17-year-olds in a, not a, a terrible town, but yeah, it had its problems, had its socio-economic problems and things like that. So yeah, I saw them at 16, 17, 18, when they were everything from either super nice kids, awesome to be around, really fun, really engaged in their education, or, you know, in and out of prison and everything else. So yeah. And it was the kids that were kind of, it was, it was family background and everything like that. But also, yeah, they tended to be the kids that were a little bit like ADHD or a little bit like yep. super energetic. And they, you know, desperately needed that something that lit the spark that focused them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we've had several of those kids over the years come into the academy, you know, and uh, they're dealing with it with drugs and, you know, they uh, will get into the academy and find a physical outlet that they can do two or three days a week and just wear them out. And uh, that that calms them down. You know, they have a place to express it, get it out physically, and then they're they're OK. Um, I've seen a lot of that, actually. I guess it's, it's that idea of exercising the chimp or exercising the monkey, isn't it? You know, the, the I don't know if you've seen that, that book, The Chimp Paradox. The Chimp Paradox, Pete? Yeah. Yeah. And basically now he says like people have this kind of this like monkey that's shaking the cage inside and just just doing something physical actually kind of, you know, takes him out of his cage, walks him around the block a few times, puts him back in. And it just it just you, you have better control over him afterwards. You know, it's quite a good analogy. It's quite a good book, actually. But what's it called? Uh, the Chimp Paradox. All right. I don't yeah. think it's the most sort of um, 
medically correct in in some of the things they kind of say from a physiological point of view, but from the kind of from an from an analogy point of view, it's pretty good. Ah, that's cool. I agree with that. I mean, that's the uh, same thing that for me um, helped me channel it into something that was not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to go to class and punch this guy in the face. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> it's not even simulated violence. It's it's uh, legalized violence. <laughs> you know, and the other guy's trying to do the same thing on my face. So it's just yeah. Function. It's all fine. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna. We've taken up loads of your time there, and thanks so much for like you know just coming on and being a guest on the podcast is there anything you want to, um like promote or if people want to get a hold and try get a hold of you and try come train or what's how would they how would they find you uh well uh, the website for the academy in atlanta is atlanta martial arts center.com uh, my personal website is sifu allenbaker.com and most of my contact information is on both sites um Feel free to reach out anytime if you're in the area. I always tell the guys this, especially we're part of a lot of organizations, consider it a second home. Uh, we're fortunate to have guys visit all the time and it's great. Um, you know, some, some people are hesitant about it. You don't have to be with, with uh, AOMAC. We, we have it all the time and love it. Uh, I look at it as a big family, um, you know, and the bigger the family, the better. That's what's great about this, you know. It's the, meet more of the extended family and and grow, build the network, and keep in touch. Uh, it's there's a there's a power to it, and uh, there's nothing else like it. So that's awesome, and it's de it's definitely. I mean, we've said it on every podcast, but it's definitely not a platitude that you know it'd be great anytime you want to come over to the uk once we're allowed to do anything <laughs> once, once we can let anyone in yeah once we're allowed to let anyone in then you know yeah that's been the great thing everyone on the podcast you know would we're, we're dying to be able to actually come and see in person or have them over or so yeah anytime you're you know free for a trip to the uk you'd be very welcome that'd be awesome awesome we'll do it in person yeah, yeah that, sure. that'd be great <laughs> So, guys, I'm going to cut the stream off here in a second for everyone listening or watching. Um, if you haven't already, and if you've made it this far, can you hit the subscribe button? <laughs> if you've made it this far, hit the subscribe button on um, uh, on YouTube. Um, leave a comment on iTunes or Spotify or anything else like that you're listening to. Give it a rating. That would help us out loads. Um, and hopefully you're enjoying them. So, yeah, tell your friends, share, share the links, etc. That would be great. So... We will, we're back next week and we'll catch you with Haldor, I believe. Yep. And um, everyone that's listening, we will catch you on the next one. Thanks, guys. <laughs>